Hello, you are listening to a podcast version of a recent message from Freedom Church's Sunday service. Freedom Church is a brand new church plant in Buckeye, Arizona. We meet weekly at Odyssey Preparatory Academy on Apache Road for services every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. If you're ever in the area, we would love to see you on a Sunday morning. My name is Andrew Cabani, and I'm the lead pastor of Freedom Church, and I just wanted to personally thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our podcasts If you have a prayer request or want to make a decision for Christ after listening to our podcast, please, please, please contact us via the prayer request page on our website, freedomchurchaz.com. Enjoy and God bless. Um, John chapter 14 is where we're going to be, so you can turn in your Bibles to that. While you're turning there, uh, story time with Andrew. Uh, 2019, Disney, as if they needed it, struck literal gold when they launched their streaming platform, Disney Plus, on the backs of the first ever live, what do they call it, live animation, not live animation, that's two different things, live action, that's the word I was looking for, live action TV show, The Mandalorian. They struck literal gold with it. The show immediately became the most watched television show in the United States, despite Disney Plus having Far fewer subscribers, you know, as they started off than, say, like Netflix, which had been around for a really long time. And the reason for the success, above all, is that cute, adorable little beauty baby Yoda, right? We're just going to admit it, right? That's the reason for the, exist, uh, for the success there. That adorable little booby booby baby baby Yoda, right? That's how, we, that's how he's looked at, right? He's a favorite in our house, Baby Yoda. There are many things. I joked with my wife after the first season because uh, he's barely, you don't really know what he's about in the first season. He's just sort of there uh, being adorable and stuff, eating frogs and all those things. And uh, I joked with my wife, it would be hilarious. It would be like the best thing that Disney ever did if after the first season, they're selling all this merchandise, people got Baby Yoda sheets and wallpaper and all this stuff, and they come back in the second season, he's actually like a bad guy, like he's like this tormenting little thing that's like destroying families and killing people with red eyes and stuff. That would be awesome, but they didn't, they didn't. They, they doubled down in the second season on the cuteness. And the real secret sauce of the show is that they pair this beautiful Bubsy Wubsy Baby Yoda with this very stoic Mandalorian character. They pair them together. Who, the Mandalorian, is a part of this ancient, I'm still trying to get it, ancient space religion that uh, is, they basically have to keep their helmet on all the time. And they have a creed, they have a creed, which is, this is the way. That's the creed that they use. Now, what is the way, you might say? Well, I'm like two and a half seasons in, and I don't really know. I think the way is you have to keep your helmet on, wear this heavy armor all the time, and don't even have an ounce of a sense of humor. I think that's the way that they're going for there. Carry weapons. There it is. I say all that. That would work pretty well out here in Buckeye. Uh, I would say all that to say this, that... uh, The way for, again, a fake space religion may be the Mandalorians. But but the way in real life is yet another very fitting name for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, Jesus declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So my title for part eight of our Who He Is series is this, 
this, what we're reading today, is the way. Emphasis on the this. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for giving us an opportunity to open up your word. Father, we come expecting to hear from you this morning, Father. As we open up our Bibles, as we open up our apps, Father, as we sit here for a few moments to read the words that you penned for us thousands of years before, we come expecting to hear from you this morning, Father, that they relate to our lives, that we take them out of this room and, and apply them to our lives to, to help comfort us, to help get us through difficult times, to help guide us on this earth. We come to you and we thank you, Father, that you made a way for us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, I mentioned that we are in part eight of our Who he is series. And uh, again, don't be intimidated that we're all the way up to eight parts. If you missed the previous parts, um, each of this, this series is that we are taking a, a different look at who Jesus is. And so each of them sort of stand on their own. You don't have to worry like you've missed anything. But if you do want to catch up on the first seven parts, we are on podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or you can check us out on our website if you want to catch up. And I do suggest listening at 1.5 speed. Man, am I a good preacher at 1.5 speed. Like, I'm on fire on 1.5 speed. I got all this energy. All my mumbling and stuttering just goes, whoop, you go right through it. You don't have to hear it at all. You start listening at 1.5 speed. You're like, listen to this guy. He's like on fire out there. I'm a good preacher at 1.5 speed. I just can't live my life at 1.5 speed. It just, it doesn't happen. So, uh, but... We have this week, and then we have next week. These are our last two weeks in this Who He Is series. And then we're going to flip the switch, and we're going to go from who he is to what he did. As we get real close to the Easter season, we're going to focus real in on that seminal moment in the history of mankind when Jesus Christ took on all of our sins, got up on a cross, died for us, and then the one-of-one one trait of nobody else in the history of mankind defeated death came back to life. Amazing, amazing, amazing. So we're going to talk about that here in a couple weeks. Again, Easter's going to be lit. I'm going to say it again. Um, so make sure you make plans for that. Make plans to be a part of that What He Did series. But uh, a couple more weeks in who he is. Again, as we try to get to know Jesus on a more personal level, because as we get to know somebody, we get to be more like them. And so that's, that's the goal here. So um, I mentioned uh, last week, so we are all the way up to the Gospel of John, chapter 14, like I mentioned. And now, since the last time we talked last week um, in, the, in the last sort of story that we studied, uh, a, a few things have happened. I'll list just a quick events that have happened since last week. And again, last week, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And, and uh, since then, uh, like I mentioned, that was kind of the starting point for which Jesus would ultimately end up on the cross was that event last week, raising Lazarus from the dead. When you make something dead come to life, it gets people's attention. And everybody in that area knew who Jesus was and what he was doing, and they weren't comfortable with it, to be honest with you. And so they, are, they decided they have to get rid of Jesus after he raised somebody from the dead. So all of that's happening. And since then, Jesus has made his triumphant entry back into Jerusalem, an event we call Palm Sunday, which we're going to celebrate here in a couple of weeks, that week before 
Easter. Jesus has already done that. And then there's also been this very tender time that Jesus spends with his apostles, his, his guys here on earth, his generals, so to speak. He spends some time with them before he's about to get on the cross. And the Bible tells us that he, he went, bent down and he washed their feet in a humble act of service, which is a beautiful thing. Again, we're not studying that today, but want to make sure that you have that as a preamble. And then specifically for the purposes of our study today, as we start reading in John chapter 14, J Jesus has just told his disciples three bad things. Ever had to get bad news from somebody? Um, Jesus has had to give his disciples some bad news. Three very specific things. I have them for the monitors for you, and we'll just read them together. It's number one, he told them, one of you guys is going to betray me. Number two, you would end up denying me. You're going to deny me, specifically Peter. You're going to deny even knowing who I, who I am. And number three is I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm going away. I have to go away. So all of the disciples have been told this information at the point where we are going to start reading here in John chapter 14, verse 1. Will you stand with me this morning in respect for the word of God? And uh, we will read this together. It says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word this morning. You may be seated. Have you ever felt like your world was caving in on all sides? Because that's how the disciples are feeling right in this moment. As Jesus is speaking this, these words, the disciples are feeling exactly that, that their, that their world was caving in on all sides. Let's put those three, those three things that Jesus told them right before he spoke these words back on the monitors here. And if you're online, they'll be here, right here. They'll be right there. Um, but those three things, let's look at those again. Number one, one of them is going to betray him. Somebody was going to make a mistake. And not like a little like oopsie, I messed up type of mistake. Like one of those big mess ups that you have at life where you, you just messed up. And it's something that you look back on as like a pivotal point in your life. Something that has maybe set your family back. Something who set yourself back. One of those mistakes. You've made, you had a choice to make. You made the wrong one. We all go through those things. Uh, again, story time with Andrew. Years ago, um, when my son was born, uh, I was working full time at my job. I'd have been there for maybe a couple of years. Still trying to make my way. Kind of climb that ladder a little bit. And I was also working part-time as an assistant pastor at a church. I was teaching our Wednesday night studies, just doing some of the, the online stuff, doing anything I could. So I was working essentially two jobs there. And uh, second baby, it got tight. Uh, the budget got tight. And so I had to take on essentially a third job delivering pizzas. And so um, that was my life. It was a full day at work. It was um, 
either delivering pizzas or <laughs> teaching the Bible. That's, those are some, that's a dichotomy at night. But that was basically my week every, every single day. And one night after a rather long day, full day at work, a full day of delivering pizzas. I think it was like a Friday night because I was getting out of there really, really late. People get pizza late in the West Valley. Let me tell you, it was like 1 o'clock in the morning, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. Um, I'm going to put a lot of layers to make an excuse for my mistake, but it was late. I had a long day. It was one of those where you pull out of the parking lot and it, the, the sensor for the stoplight uh, was faulty. And so I sat there for like one or two full cycles and it didn't give me a green light and I had just had it. Have I put enough out there for you to not feel so bad for me when I make this mistake? But then I decided I'm done on a dead street. Again, more, more things to make excuses for my mistake. Um, I made a left turn on a red light. And whoop, whoop, right behind me. Whoop, whoop. Uh, I got caught immediately. I don't know where that cop came from, but he found me. He, I knew I made a mistake. And it was a big mistake because I don't know if you ever read a red light and got ticketed for it. That's a big ticket. That was essentially like a month's worth of pizzas that I had just delivered um, needed to be paid for. And I remember coming home to Heidi as, as she's just pulling her hair out because she's got a four-year-old and a baby. And for those of you who have had a conversation, AJ wasn't the easiest baby in the world to deal with. And so um, she's, she's, on, she's on capacity. I'm on capacity. And I'm just like, I messed up. I made a big, big mistake. And it set us back. And it was really really tough. It's that type of mistake that they're dealing with right here. Second thing he tells them is that they would end up, specifically Peter, denying him, denying him. Essentially saying that their entire worldview, who they have put their faith in at the time, everything in the way that they see the world is going to change here in a moment. They're going to see the world through a different lens in a moment, so much so that they're going to deny even knowing who Jesus was. We see this type of thing happen a lot in families when you unfortunately have to go through divorce. It's like your whole worldview has changed, right? You, you think you're going along one way, and then fast forward, and all of a sudden, how did I even get here? And kids are trying to figure out, it feels like the, 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 the sands are shaking, the ground beneath you feels unsturdy. That happens in a lot of different situations. That's just one example of that. But this is what's happening to the people at the time. Their whole worldview is about to change for the disciples. And then lastly, he's telling the disciples, um, I'm going away. That's what they're hearing anyways. We're going to clarify that here in just a second. But I'm going away. And this world is hard enough as it is. And when you go through these difficult times where the world feels shaky underneath you, it feels like it's caving in. It's hard enough to go through them. It's a whole nother level of difficulty to go through them alone, right? And so that's all of that is spiraling around the disciples in this moment. And Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You see, God's desire is for his people even though they may be living through troubled times, that their heart can be at peace, peace based off of their faith in them. Or as one commentator put it, God's desire is for you to have an untroubled heart in a troubled life. God's desire is for you to have an untroubled heart in 
a troubled life. That even though you may have messed up or you feel like the ground you're walking on is shaking or you feel alone and isolated, that during those times you may feel a peace that surpasses all understanding because God is with you and for you. And in the, in the rest of our time this morning, what I want to do is give you three ways to help your heart stay untroubled even in the most troubling of times that we go through on this earth. You with me so far? All right. Number one, heaven is near and it is awesome. Heaven is near and it is awesome. One of the ways that we can stay an untroubled heart even in the most troubling of times is to know that heaven is near. That the worst thing that can happen for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ is that they leave this world and they are immediately in heaven with Jesus. There was a study some years back that said that about 88, 88% of Americans believe in heaven. Seems like a pretty good number, right? They believe that when they leave this place, there is a paradise waiting for them. Now, we're going to talk about how you get there in a second, but... At least 88% of Americans believe that when they leave this place, they believe in heaven. And that sounds to the church, that sounds like, hey, we're doing a good job. People know about heaven. We're doing a pretty good job. But what I will actually say is that might be a little bit of lip service for whoever got that study. Stay with me here. If you dig a little bit deeper on this, um, what you'll see is that if you think about it, if our society... If 88% of a society didn't believe, let's say 88% of, of society did not believe in a heaven, what would that look like? If the majority of society did not believe in heaven, if only what we have here on earth is all that's, that it is, and when we die, we die, and nothing's left. If 88% of, of, of Americans believed that that was what it was, that there was no heaven, what would the world look like? Well, as one commentator put it, it would be a society that is obsessed with staying young. It would spend thousands of dollars every, every year to try and look, feel, and stay as young as possible through surgery, diet, and exercise. It would spend billions of dollars on life support systems to delay death. It would have high rates of crime, and the overall belief system of the time would be that the here and now is the most important health and prosperity, not what happens in the future. Will you agree with me and say that is the society that we live in here? So if that's the society, if that's the evidence of how people are living their life, it's very hard for me to believe that 88% people believe in heaven. Because if you believe in heaven, a lot of that stuff becomes very secondary in the way that you live your life, right? It's important to have good diet, good exercise, do these things that help us stay and look in the best that we can. It's important to, to do those things. God values those things. I'm not trying to, to say that, that he doesn't. But in the way that they get like a higher standing in our society than our eternity, we can tell that that 88% number, is there's something, there's something wrong with that. And there can be many reasons for that. There can be many reasons that not everybody lives their life in a way that they understand that heaven is near and it is awesome. There's a lot of reasons why people don't live their lives that way. We can take uh, credit or blame, however you want to look at it, as a church. We have a hard time 
adequately helping people understand what heaven is going to be like. It's misunderstanding of scripture. There's a lot of reasons why people don't live their life this way. But can I make it as simple as saying people have a hard time believing something that they can't see? It's belief. It's literally faith. People have a hard time believing in something that they haven't experienced themselves. But do you know what people don't have necessarily a hard time with? Listening to somebody who has been through it. Now, there are some people. Some people, they have to touch the burner to know that it's hot, right? Some people, that's hot. Don't touch it. Some of of your kids are this way. Um, Don't touch it. It's hot. And they have to like, are you sure? And they have to touch it, right? Some people, they got to see it themselves. But some people, most people, I think, are cool with being like, I saw that guy touch it, burned his hand. I'm cool. I don't need to touch it, right? Like, I've seen how alcoholism has affected generations of my family. I'm going to stop that trend with me, and I'm not even going to touch it. Maybe I, don't have a, maybe I don't have a problem with it myself, but I'm not even going to touch it because I've seen the trend, and I don't need that in my life anymore. You know, that type of thing. I've seen it. I've seen people experience it. I know what it is. I'm going to believe that that's an issue, and I'm going to stay away from it. Or or on the positive side of that. When you have firsthand experience, you trust that, you're good going forward. So I say all that to say this, that uh, if we, like the Apostle Paul, were able to get a glimpse of heaven during our time on earth, it would wholly change our lives. And I say holy, I mean W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, completely, and utterly change our life, as well as holy, H-O-L-Y. It would wholly change our lives. Paul got a glimpse into heaven. And Paul, as we read in scripture, was one of the most skeptical, type A, hey Christian, you believe in God, show it to me. Show me who God is. I want to see it right now. And if you can't show me right now, get out of my face. And not just get out of my face. How about I burn down your house? That's what Paul, that's the kind of dude Paul was before he met Jesus. And then he got a glimpse into what heaven was and boom, it changed his entire life. He saw how amazing, how awesome heaven was and he spent his entire life trying to take as many people with him to heaven as possible. That's how we have half the New Testament written is because Paul got a little glimpse into what heaven was like and it was awesome and it changed his whole life life. While you may not have gotten a glimpse into heaven yourself, Paul did, and Jesus did. They both saw it, and they all both, they both said, it's awesome. And I say this all the time. If you can open up your Bibles to the very first page of Scripture, and you can read that very first scripture when it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you can believe that, you can believe everything else that is written in this Bible. So when they say heaven is near and it is awesome, that is a firsthand account that you can take to the bank. Heaven is near and it is awesome. Plus, We feel it in our souls. We feel eternity in our souls. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us that God has placed eternity in the heart of man. C.S. Lewis has a great quote that we've pulled to all the time where it says, if this world, if you travel this world and you're looking for something to meet your needs and you can't find anything in this world that meets that need, that makes you feel whole, there can only be one reason for that, and that is you were not made for this world. 
we know that anytime that somebody dies, anytime a baby is born, you can feel eternity. It's, it's more than just now. Love, the love that you feel when you have your kids around you or your family around you, generations of kids around you, and you see what God has built, what God has blessed. You can feel that it's more than just the here and now. It's, it's about eternity. It's about what God is doing through you. And heaven is near, and it is awesome. It talks about mansions. Mansions are cool. I don't have a mansion, um, but apparently I'm going to someday, Right? In my father's house, there are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for it. You know you only prepare for people that you like, right? That you want to make a good impression on, right? Otherwise, you just kind of come in and, and see it, right? I know Catherine came to my house last night. It was like a tornado hit it. She's like, what, what's up with that? You didn't prepare for me? You caught us on an off night. I'm sorry. Um, but you don't... There are mansions. Mansions sound cool, right? And if you look and you dig into the scripture, it, it, the author is trying to emote mansions, big, cool houses. But if you study the Greek, it's even better for me. It's even better for me. Because if you study the Greek, the word is a place to stay. Permanence. Permanence is a big thing for me and Heidi. It's kind of the only thing that we can commit to as parents. <laughs> I am theoretically the best parent there is. Like, I know how to do all the things, right? I know I got to limit the screen time. I know I got to have dinner together at the, at, the, at the table. I know I have to, like, pour into my children. I know all those things. I know I have to, like, keep shoes on them where their toes aren't, like, completely pressed up against the front of the shoe. Do you guys know that kids' feet grow, like, at this ridiculous rate? Like, they may not grow this way, but their feet are, like, flying out, right? My son's nine. He's already, already wearing adult men's shoes, and he doesn't tell you either. Like, I don't think he would say anything to me until one of his toes literally popped out the front. And he'd be like, hey, Dad, I think I need some new shoes. He doesn't say anything about it until we see, like, this, this crumbled up mess. Like, like a hacky sack is pushed to the front of his shoes because his toes are pushing so far ahead, right? I know that I got to get the kid's shoes. I know how to be a good parent. But then the world happens and you try to do as much as you can, right? Theoretically, I'm a really good parent. But the one thing that Heidi and I can commit to is permanence for our kids. We don't change houses very often. We don't change schools very often. My kids know that every day they come home from school, there's gonna be mom there, there's gonna be dad there. We love each other and we love them. And we try to keep that permanence as an important factor for our kids at all time. Permanence means a lot to us. This world is not our home. This body that we live in is really just a tent. We're camping out here. We are just camping on our time here on earth. And one day we're gonna fold up the tent we're going to go home to our mansion, to our permanence, a place to stay. And we all know that. We can all feel that in our souls. Heaven is near, and it is awesome. And the most thing, the thing that makes heaven the most awesome is that Jesus is going to be there. What makes heaven heaven is that Jesus is going to be there. Number two, never forget his promises. Never forget his promises. Verse three says, I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way that you know. That where I am, there you may be also. What a promise. Jesus is saying right here that no matter what is happening in your life, no matter what troubled times you're dealing with in your life, I'm going to be there. I will be there with you. Mistake, shifting stands, I'm going to be there through all of it. What a... For me, that's what it is. That's, that's like, I can relax a little bit. I know that he's got my back. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
You guys know what I mean. That's, what he, that's essentially what he said to his disciples. I'm going to prepare a place for you. You guys understand what I mean? And I love Thomas's response. Did you guys check out Thomas's response? Uh, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> Lord, what? <laughs> it's essentially what, what, what Thomas says. And Thomas kind of gets a bad rap, right? Thomas is doubting Thomas. How'd you like to have your worst moment be the thing that defines you for generations, right? Not, not cool what we do to Thomas, right? But what we do, what we can read between the lines and see is that Thomas is bold, Thomas is a bold man that while the rest of the disciples are hanging out in the upper room crying about Jesus having been gone, Thomas wasn't there to see Jesus appear. That's why he was doubting in the first place because Thomas was still out in the street doing God's work. Whatever he had called him to, Thomas wasn't afraid at that point because Jesus was gone. He was out there working because he's bold. So I like to look at this particular story and think of the boldness of, of Thomas where Jesus is like, I go to prepare a place for you. You guys know what I'm talking about. And all the disciples are like, yes, Jesus, we know exactly what you're talking about. And Thomas is just kind of like looking at them. I don't know what they're talking about, Jesus. I don't get it. Can you explain it to me a little bit more? Does anybody feel Thomas energy at times? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Thomas energy, right? I don't get it. Can you explain it to me a little bit more? And Jesus will explain it to you a little bit more because guess what? When it comes to the promises of Jesus, we need to be reminded. They get misunderstood. We forget about them. And we have to, if we want to have an untroubled heart in a troubled world, we have to remember and understand exactly what Jesus is telling us, exactly the promises of what God has for us. When he tells us in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, they are plans for good and not disaster to give you a future and a hope, or in Romans 8, 28, it says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and called according to his purpose. Or Isaiah 43, 2, when it says, when you go through deep waters, I will be there. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. Can I say amen to that? Amen to that promises from God to you here, written in the light of day for you to be able to get to anytime. I just gave you scripture and verse. You can open up in your Bibles. It'll be right there. It'll be there today. It'll be there tomorrow. It'll be there in 100 years. It was there 100 years ago. Promises given to you by God in the light of day for everyone to see, not secrets that you think you heard, that you think you heard in the darkness when you are you speaking to me, God? Nobody else can really verify these. No, these are promises given in the light of day. And here's the key. Never doubt in the shade what God has told you in the sunshine. Never doubt in the shade what God has told you in the light of day, in the sunshine. Because he's telling it to you right here. But when we go through those dark times in our lives, we forget these promises. We doubt these promises. But when they're given to us in the light of day, we can't doubt them. We have to remember the promises of God. Number three, there is a way to God. There is a way to God. Christians take a bad rap for insisting that Jesus is the only way to heaven. They can get on board with all of the forgiveness stuff and all of like the helping of the neighbor stuff, the feeding of the poor and the widow. That's, that's all good stuff, but we can't get down when they go, Jesus is the only way to heaven. Nope. That's a step too far. Only one way to heaven, how dare you? How dare you is what the world will say. To which I say two things. Number one, Jesus' words, not ours. These are literally from the horse's mouth. So don't get mad at followers of Jesus. Jesus is saying these things. This is just straight from Jesus 
himself. And let's be clear, because there are some that try to misinterpret this particular portion of Scripture. He is saying that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is not a way, a truth, and a life. He is the way to heaven. And that no one gets to the Father, God in heaven, except through him. Let's be very clear about what Jesus is saying. Number two, to what I'll say to Christians kind of taking a bad rap for this whole only one way to heaven thing, is that the idea of there only being one way to heaven is actually meant to, bring some, to be something that brings us together and actually not something that divides us. Let's think about it this way. I was reading a commentator on this particular subject, and he said, look, if God, our creator, made many ways to heaven, like he gave us a dozen ways to get to heaven, and you can put your faith in any of those dozen, and you're good, right? If that was how it was created, then it would just leave ample opportunity, if there are a dozen ways that you can choose from, for additional ways, false ways, to come in, right? Now there's two dozen and now you got to choose, now you got a 50-50 proposition on, is this the right way? Is this the wrong way? It would only cause more confusion and more divisiveness if there were a whole bunch of ways to get to heaven, whereas God tried to make it real simple for us, his creation. Hey, there's just one way. There is one door to heaven, and it's through Jesus Christ. And additionally, Christianity, at its best in how it's meant to be, and I unfortunately have to say that because men, people, have messed this up through the generations. But Christianity and the way that Jesus lays it out here to be a follower of Jesus is meant to be the most inclusive religion in the history of this world. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, man, woman, ethnicity, whatever race, wherever you are, poorest of poor, richest of rich, whoever you are, biggest sinner in the world, not that big of a sinner, Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. All. It's not meant to divide. If you look at all the rest of the religions of this world, the other false ways to get to heaven, they all at some level have to do with how you were born, who you are what tribe you were born into at some point. Not Jesus. Doesn't matter who you were born. Doesn't matter where you stand. All you who are weary and heavy burdened, come and I will give you rest. Noah, you can make your way up here now. Uh, as we close this, I just want to say this. Let's not bury the lead here, guys. There is a way to God. There is a way to heaven. That's really cool. For us to be able to live forever in heaven, there is a way. We shouldn't be burying the lead. It's not like everyone was just lining up to die for us on a cross, right? There weren't a whole lot of people that were like, I'll take that job, that job that, does, that requires me to, even though I didn't do anything wrong, to be beaten, to be whipped, to have a crown of thorns shoved on my head, to have a, a nail shoved into my wrists and shoved into my feet and to hang on a cross until I literally don't have the energy to breathe anymore, so I suffocate myself. There weren't a whole lot of people, oh, and by the way, I didn't do anything wrong. There weren't a whole lot of people lining up for that job, and Jesus took it. Let's not get too, too mixed up in all. Oh, how can you say there's only one way? There is a way 
to God. And it's through Jesus Christ. He took the job. And, and with a way, there comes a truth. And with a truth, there comes life. And so this morning, if you're feeling lost, I have a way for you. If you're feeling confused by this world, what's real, what's not, I have truth for you. And if you're feeling like you're dead inside, like you need a, a little jolt for yourself, I have life, the resurrection and life and all of it. His name is Jesus Christ. And so if you're here this morning and you haven't had the way, the truth and the life in your life, I'm gonna pray. That's gonna be your opportunity to ask God, God, come into my life. I want that. Come into my life. Save me. Heaven is near and it is awesome. And while I'm on this earth, it might be troubling times, but if I have faith in you, I can have an untroubled heart. And I may be listening to these for a few times, or I may have heard this for a many, many times, but today's the day. I'm ready. I'm ready to stop messing around and I'm ready to say, God, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I want this. Heaven is near and it's awesome. I'm going to pray. You say the words to yourself. Father, thank you. Father, thank you that you are a way to heaven. Lord, the, the longer we spend on this earth, the more we realize that we aren't worthy of anything, that we try to do the best with the time on this earth, but there's, we mess up all the time. I talk about, I know how theoretically to be a good parent. I know how theoretically to be a good person, but I mess up literally all the time. But Father, you made a way. We don't have to be perfect to get to heaven. We just have to go through you. We just have to put our faith in you. And so, Father, if those that are, are here and they've never done this or they're ready to do it again, recommit themselves to you, Father. Lord, I'm just going to stop speaking here and I just ask that you give them the words, Father, come into my heart, make me new, save me, allow me to go to heaven. Father, we thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to heaven except through you. And thank you that even though it's only except through you, even though it may seem like a narrow passage, your word says in your house, there are many, many mansions, room enough for everybody. Father, thank you that you would care about a sinner like me, that you would make a place for me so that my eternity is taken care of. If you are in this room and you prayed that prayer, if you just want to shoot your hand up real quick, because I want to continue to pray for you, support you, and help you as you grow in your relationship with Jesus. But this is your opportunity to make a stand and say, hey, I prayed that prayer. That was me today. That was my day. Help support me, Pastor. If that was you, quick hand up. I just want to pray for you. Father, we thank you for everybody who's here, everybody who's watching online. I ask that you bless them. Father, as we begin to worship you now, will you just continue to speak your word to us this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with us this morning?